Podcast One. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. This audio edition is created in conjunction with partners as part of our Market Voice series. Well, this one's going to be an interesting one. Welcome to Annie Parsons, well-known identity in the media industry uh, before she darted off to Paris. She's um, just been involved in the delisting of QMS, the out-of-home company that has been acquired by private equity firm Quadrant. She's no longer a board member as of Friday, is a global strategic advisor to QMS and is based in Paris, works in London and has a whole bunch of things to talk about. So welcome, Annie. You are back in Australia, I guess, closing off what needs to happen with QMS. It was a $500 million deal from Quadrant. Is that right? Yes, that is correct, Paul. Uh, As usual, you are correct. Very good start. Annie Parsons. So tell us, before we get into some of the things you've been working on locally in the Australian market, you are based in Paris, you work in London, you see what's going on from afar, you're former chairman of Mediacom in Australia, and probably the the, the most interesting or the most colourful is you're one of the few to take on Harold Mitchell every week when he was in uh, at, his, at his peak, at his zenith, if you like, and were you at zenith, weren't you? I was at zenith when Harold was at his zenith, but I have to say I just saw him yesterday and he's still pretty much at the top. He still has uh, much opinion and he and I engaged in a bit of to and fro yesterday about the uh, Australian market. It was probably more feisty a decade ago with you and Harold though, wasn't it? It was, it was. And I think that feistiness is really important in this industry to have different opinions and actually have people go toe to toe. No, always, um, I remember uh, back when I was on, on the newspaper rounds, if I needed a counter to, to Harold's comments, I'd call Annie Parsons and punch away she would. Correct. And I think the other thing that was important was I was always prepared to go on the record. Great point, Annie. And you were. It was never unnamed. Never unnamed. Like that. More of that. Maybe you should come back and do some training for some of the industry bods. But in the meantime, let's get a global view on what's happening from Europe to Australia and beyond. You would have seen, you know, even back 10 years ago, there was pressure on agencies, pressure on media, nowhere near what it is like today, I imagine. I would like to get your take on that. But what are you seeing both in terms of marketers, media and agencies? What are the big themes for you, Annie, from from Europe? Um, So first of all, I think it's really important to state that the themes from Europe are not different to Australia. And so I think that's a good thing because it still speaks to how relatively sophisticated the Australian market is. Um, The point you make about the pressure on agencies and, in fact, from big clients to their marketing people is absolutely true. Um, And, in fact, I think that pressure is rampant and it's causing behaviours that then cause other problems. Um, So digital and all of the stuff that that has enabled has created its own issues, uh, not the least of which being the speed at which it works and the lack of transparency that comes through that speed Um, And even how programmatic in some ways has encouraged that sort of black box approach has all been designed in the interest of being efficient, but it's created real issues for advertisers. And sadly, in that loop, uh, the people who suffer are on the agency side. So you have some empathy for your for, for your old friends in agency land with what they're going through. Not nothing nothing brought on by themselves. Oh no, definitely also brought on by themselves. Um, and I think that's because 
in agency land, we tried to create uh, a media world that was very right, but maybe we didn't take enough notice of how to uh, customise and modify the media world we were building to make it more aligned to what advertisers needed. So I think that the pressure from media businesses to make money and to be profitable actually caused decisions that were not always in the best interests of clients. And therefore, agency people have done their best to try and balance those global demands for profit and running a business with the local needs of of their clients, their advertisers. Did you face that 10 years ago? Uh, Yes, but not to the same degree of pressure. And maybe... Perhaps if I was being really uh, bullish, I would say I noticed it enough that it was time to not be in a big agency group anymore. So what do you see in terms of, uh, so let's go to the media sector in Europe. How do you see the European market and even your exposure to North America and what you're seeing in Australia uh, in terms of media companies and what they're doing? Well, for television businesses, they're trying really hard to make the most of what they have and it's a great struggle on the linear side versus what's happening on the subscription side. Um, I think it's really difficult for that medium because they've had such a positive and um, protracted role in the sun and now that's being challenged and it's being challenged fast. And that's certainly not to say that it's about to end because television is a fantastic medium, but all of the things around it are actually forcing them into change. And I think that's the interesting thing for a sector like out of home. And the reason that I'm interested to be in that particular sector is because it's the oldest medium, but changing very rapidly. And I think around the world, and certainly here in Australia, we are pushing to make changes to make the medium not just survive, but thrive. Perhaps a lesson from television because uh, they didn't change fast enough. When did you start to think that television wasn't changing quickly enough and when has the lesson come from, from out of home and, uh, and uh, say, QMS at this instance? I, I think that um, you would have to say that at the time that headlines start to come out, very um, inaccurate but nevertheless a good headline that said death of TV and the demise of TV and all of that, it, it wasn't. I was doing those, but I was about 2005. It was a touch it, it, early. Abs- yes, but it, you would still have to say by you putting those headlines out, that meant something. There was there was some smoke, just not the fire. And <laughs> yes. it's your job to say, you know, here is the smoke. There perhaps wasn't enough change being addressed at that time. And the very model of commercial television is such that they're not about to make massive changes to their their rates you know, that, and they've actually done a really good job to try and maintain their cost. But if they're going to do that, there have to be changes elsewhere. And that was married with digital that just came at a, you know, crashing, thrashing rate um, and has is now forcing them to change. And so digital... And shrink. And shrink. So digital for them is a shrinking mechanism, whereas for the out-of-home sector, it has, it has proven to be a huge growth Mechanism. Well, it is really interesting, and we, we've talked about this before on some yep. of the podcasts. But, but you know, out of home, one of the few legacy media that uh, has still got momentum, yeah, and one of the few that, well, the only really, maybe cinema is a bit, a bit different in in uh, the UK and perhaps here, but uh, one of the few that is growing with the duopoly. Uh, right. Everyone else is going backwards, mm-hmm. and it's 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 grandly ironic. The, the, the biggest, I guess, the biggest observation there is though. 
digital doesn't disrupt people on in their cars, on the streets, and that's where you haven't had the audience hit like other traditional media have, right? I, yes, I think that that's absolutely right. And it's also something about um, the screen and the impact and the drama and how exciting something can be on a screen. And my last stoush with Harold was only about five years ago and he... Oh, I missed that one. Oh, it was marvellous. He argued that television was the screen of the future and I argued that digital out of home was the screen of the future. Oh, that was some conference thing. Yeah, okay, I know what you're talking about now. Yeah. And and you won, didn't you? I did indeed. Um, how did he handle that? Nobly. <laughs> Nobly. Nobly. Very good. Hmm. So it, it, it's true though, right? Screen of the future. And this is where, yeah. without trying to um, do too much of a sell job and out of home here, yeah. that would be the rationale for why you got, or the company QMS and the board got involved with conversations around Quadrant for a sale. So what, what, what was attracting private equity? Because when, when private equity gets involved, two things happen. One is there must be some growth there somewhere uh, and there's the opportunity to turn a dollar. Yep, exactly. And it... it for the same reason that I was delighted to be on the board, I would want to be part of... You're no longer, by the way. I am no longer on the board. Officially, a week ago, you and the rest of the QMS board stood down and it's a completely different beast now. It is. So it is now delisted and it is a private business and it is owned by uh, Quadrant uh, with a, a shareholding also from the CEO and the Australian CEO for QMS Media. Um being so pivotal to how that business runs. Uh, and you're absolutely right. Private equity would be interested if they saw that there is still uh, growth to be had and a good return to be made. How did you get involved in QMS? When did it happen and why did you do it? Uh, I got involved when I was invited by the Mr Outdoors of Australia, Nettlefold and O'Neill, to uh, be involved with QMS when it was, in fact, first listed on the stock exchange, and that was six years ago. At that time, despite conversations with other uh, media, uh, agency and owners, that to me stood out as something um, to really get on board with because Out of Home was starting to to turn. The, the tipping point was there for the start of something that looked really interesting. Could have gone either way because Out of Home, in a way, was coming from quite a way back because in media agency days, out of home was definitely Secondary low. medium, right? Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. Um, but always with that opportunity to say it was a mass medium and that mass reach thing is the biggest gem that there is in digital out of home at the moment and that is why it's going to have a still fantastic With ride. stable audiences. Absolutely. And and stable and growing audiences and audiences that span the age divide that does divide TV now because it's it's everyone who's 18 and over. So before we get to your Secret Squirrel project, when did the conversations with Quadrant start and at what point did you think, okay, the board think, okay, this is a go or it's, we, we, we're on and, and how, did that, how did that transpire? Uh, it happened really very quickly. It was an approach from Quadrant who um, approached the board with their interest. When was that? Only toward the end of last year. Right, so it was quick. Absolutely, it was quick. But in this industry... There was no no pre-dancing around the fire, nothing. It was straight out of the blocks. Yep, absolutely. And as you would know in this industry, if you don't do it that way, it leaks and becomes a whole different story. The industry is full of moles, isn't it, Annie? It is. It's an animal of a business. 
Nice. Thank Sorry, you. the quadrant. Quadrant. Um, so, yeah, they were um, they were very quick and clear and we as a board saw that there was some real opportunity. There had been other approaches but nothing that had this kind of future for the business and also this great belief in management and the business as it is. So, you know, not looking for big wholesale change, looking for that team to continue doing what they were doing. And there's two parts of it. The, the interest, I guess, was on uh, on the what we know as traditional out of home uh, yes. out of home network, yep. and then there was the sort of stadium Correct. play that was going. Tell us a little bit of that because that's I think I've seen some some commentary where that was of particular interest to Quadrant as well because of the global uh, potential. Yeah, the global potential, and also I think because there are uh, very few businesses who have actually managed to make that global stadia sport play a, a big deal, and that's the opportunity that exists with QMS. So QMS recently uh, acquired an Australian sport business called TLA, and so they do stadia work plus merchandise work plus talent work. Um, but uh, internationally, um, Barclay had been um, spending quite a bit of time overseas talking with uh, international sporting codes and big stadia, Europe, uh, US and the UK, and saw the opportunity. So that business is as much a hardware and technology play as it is a signage play and in a way also has got a, a huge future because of the limitations of free-to-air TV or in, in fact any TV that's taking sports coverage because it is the opportunity for an advertiser to have a very clear message on a sign which is not skipped, interrupted and in fact can be added to because there's all sorts of opportunities with digital engagement for the fans. So again, there's a trajectory there of the next half a decade which will, will be Will that be bigger than the uh, out-of-home screen network, do you think? Bigger only insofar as it's global, but the Australian uh, digital out-of-home business is big and growing at a great rate and growing at a greater rate than the market. And I think that potential is still there for the next period of time. So you remain a, a global strategic advisor for QMS or for Quadrant or QMS, um, both? Both, yeah. yes. And so... Uh, one exclusively. Things, exclusively. So you won't work for anyone else? No. They pay for my exclusivity. It's extraordinary. Mm. The Extraordinarily lucky. That's what you're saying? For them. Right. <laughs> nice. So one of the big projects that the company's been working on under the curtain, if you like, for at least a couple of years, as I understand it, um, is a, it has come out, um, is, is about to launch. Tell us a little bit about that, what it is and why QMS is doing that, Annie. So um, at the moment there is a lot of interest um, about measurement in out-of-home and that exists around the world. Every out-of-home company plus the, um, the sector body, so in Australia, MOVE, is looking to improve measurement. It's one of the ways that Out of Home is trying to make sure that we don't fall into any TV traps by not continuing to move and make things better and, and make sure that we are being as transparent as possible and offering advertisers and agencies as much information as possible. One of the things that we saw at QMS was that measurement around uh, signs so large format um, roadside billboards uh, and in digital and static, but let's talk digital, 
were still measured by quite a previously satisfactory but still not terribly dynamic way of measurement. A dating measurement uh, yeah, methodology, right? Yeah, so quite dated and therefore it took quite a lot of time and quite a lot of money to devise something that was going to be better, stronger. And the starting point for QMS was not doing anything fancy, which perhaps is another failure of the past. Let's go to what is really over the top and sounds very sexy. And we've started with what is really quite fundamental. And that is, what is a better way to be able to measure the reach, the audience that go to those large format billboards that isn't just based on averages? How can we make it more live, more dynamic, so that what advertisers and agencies can see is the actual and literal traffic and eyeballs to a screen. So this is a mobile play by the sounds of it. It is, it is, but it's interesting. It's a mobile play working with, so it's a partnership of two companies that have never worked together before, uh, DSpark and Where'd You Go? And those two coming together is how we've been able to create something that is new. So it's not just the mobility play, which is there through DSpark. And DSpark is actually a business that is owned by Singtel. Right. And all of the work that they've done in building that um, platform has been tested in Singapore, uh, which I think in and of itself lends it a great deal of credibility because... They're fairly robust up there, aren't they? They are, yeah. If you're not allowed to spit, then you can just about guess that what you can do with your... Um, mobility measurement is also going, it's to, going be to be pretty, pretty strong strict yeah, down and, the line. Yeah, yep. and so th- I mean, I'm assuming because it's Singtel, what you're saying here, I'm I'm reading between the lines, but you've tapped Singtel's mobile customer base somehow. Or? Well, yeah. So we've got we've got a, a, a customer base of seven million. Right. Right. Um, but I guess importantly, because it's data, there are billions of data points, and that's married with um, unique information that comes from Where'd You Go, which is a Australian business. So. We're, How we're do you Where'd you go? W e j u g o. Okay. So you just say it quickly, and it's where'd you go? Got it. Mm. Very, Very Australian. Australian. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, this mobile product. How's it going to be better? What's it going to make better? It, it is going to make the absolute granularity of what advertisers understand their audiences will see by day, by hour. Uh, which is a granularity that doesn't exist because hitherto we've worked with averages that have been based over a much longer period of time. So being able to have that very dynamic view of the size of the audience and broken down to that kind of level really puts a quite a different slant on understanding how many people are there before uh, a digital out of home at any one time, which is important because it's the um, much greater precision about how many people and who they are. But the big opportunity is how much better that makes it for creative people to apply a dynamic message which is relevant to that time of day or that day of week or before that football match or after that election result or whatever it might be. And I think that's going to be a great thing too because it's going to enable our creative partners to really go to town and do something. What's it called? It's called Dynamic which is um, a, a really logical branding after it's about the dynamism of the mobile audience, the dynamism of the creative and the dynamism of the data. So we called it. Very clever. I've got two questions before I'm going to let you go. First one is great point around, you know, this dynamic creative, which yeah. everyone's talking about. How is the market take up on that? Are creative agencies and media agencies 
and marketers understanding that potential in in uh, creative execution for, for digital out of home? Is it there yet? I don't think it's there yet. And I think that we on the out of home selling side need to take responsibility only because we're in the best position to try and help our our clients understand how to make those two things come together. And I think that, yeah, media has gone on its own path to try and talk the power of the channel, but it's really essential now to come back to the channel and the content and content's having its own big play. But bringing those together is actually more capable of being interesting and dynamic in digital out of home, more so than television, be that linear or subscription. So the out of home space needs to do it. And they are. And, you know, watch this space because I would say by the end of the year there will be some fantastic examples of agencies taking advantage of the opportunity. Final question, Annie, is you talk about learning the lessons from the television sector. Is Out of Home going to learn some lessons from the television sector in in terms of competing platforms? So, for instance, you know, you're seeing TV for 10 years, every network trying to do it their own way. And in Out of Home, we're seeing various players uh, come out with their own technology and proprietary plays as opposed to an industry-wide initiative. Yep. What's your take on that? Is it is that okay for everyone to keep going alone? Yeah, great question. And it is a difficult one. I think that there is um, a, a sector body doing their own thing, move in Australia, in the UK, its route, and that's really important. But the out-of-home sector is a huge area because it's toilet doors as well as its digital roadside format. It's, you know, tabletops as well as lifts. And there just isn't the possibility to create something that is suitably accurate or robust for an advertiser that takes into account all of those things. To do it would actually take uh, so much time and then not be very accurate or try to be simpler but be so averaged that it gets dumbed down that it's not okay. And no advertiser is going to accept that anymore because the demands of advertisers and agencies has become greater on media owners. So it requires uh, individual owners to do their thing. Uh, I think it becomes more difficult when it's um, a bigger out-of-home company because they are representing all sorts of different formats. Um, Whereas at QMS, we are digital out-of-home large format experts. That's our area. That's the the gem that we mine and that's what we want to be excellent about in talking to agencies and advertisers. Do you see it changing in five years' time? Is there more more sort of collaboration on platforms and measurement uh, at an industry level? I'm sure there will be because I think there's going to be a really interesting nexus between digital out-of-home and how mobile works with that. So I'm now talking about the four beacons and the opportunity for that to kind of come together. I think that's a whole other horizon. Bits of that are happening already. Um, So that's an exciting for the future. But we need to start with building something which is about the basics. Let's let's keep talking about digital out of home for the reach medium that it is, because that's what it is. And actually, it's more of a reach medium now than free-to-air television. Is it, is it, well, I can, I could see it heading that way. Do you think it, it is now? Oh, I think it is now when um, uh, Married at First Sight is having the same audience in Melbourne as um, a digital out of home sign. Mm. Yeah. And they're, they're two different things and, and the comparisons can only go, uh, you know, for a, a certain amount. But that is the size of the audience for a roadside billboard in Melbourne and that is the size of the audience and they're costed quite differently. 
that makes it very, very interesting and attractive. But that reach thing is huge because everything that's talked about personalization goes down to this one-to-one and very specific and biographics, blah, blah, blah. But it forgets that the the other part that is essential for a brand is brand building and that requires, you know, Media 101, a big reach medium. Ironically, not what... much has changed around that, right? You still exactly. need reach and mass, mass with the other. Correct. But we did all uh, get seduced by the interest in one-to-one and personalisation and that's got its place. But we've done it in this pendulum swing that's taken us away from big audiences and the importance of reach. And without that, there's a whole lot of other stuff that can't get done as well. You absolutely sound like you've been on the board of an out-of-home company. Um, you know your stuff. And look how happy I am. I know, you are smiling. Um, it's time for you to go back to Paris, I think, isn't it, Annie? Is that what happens next? That's what happens next, but I will be back in June. Look forward to a catch-up then. I'd look forward to it. Good to see you. Bye. MI3 Audio Edition was presented by Paul McIntyre. That's moi in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Producer Nick Slater, music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to podcastone.com.au or search MI3 Audio Edition on Apple Podcasts and hit the subscribe button.